I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 275. Okay, tell me what this word means to you. Spatchcock. Spatchcock? Mm-hmm. Uh, like a cock's shape, like a spatula. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of my friends said it at work the other day, and me and my other coworker were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's like basically opening a chicken up, making a chicken open face. Like you cut it down the center Ooh, and spread yeah. it open. Okay, butterflying it. That, yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of the word. Cut open face like it's a sandwich. <laughs> so we were all cracking up. Like, of course, like ran with spatchcock for far too long. Yeah. So we we're like, okay, let's all text husbands and see you want a spatchcock later yeah and see what they said and i was like this could not come at a more perfect time because i literally had just text colby don't forget i have my waxing today (laughs) so i text him like want a spatchcock later he says what the hell is that i said what do you think it is he's like i don't have a clue i really thought he was gonna like go with it be like hell yeah yeah." you know no he didn't and he was like i googled it something to do with the chicken he's like but it did sound very dirty though (laughs) I really thought he was going to like go, yeah. you know, he usually goes with it with me because, you know, yeah. he says words weird. And so like, I'll call him and be like, hey, what's that thing that blah, 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 just to get him to say the word yeah. weird. Like he usually goes with me with stuff, but he didn't fall for it this time. I'm surprised he didn't even know what it was, though. You're not wrong. <laughs> but we asked a couple of other people and they're like, yeah, it's what do you call it? Bridge in a bird? <laughs> butterfly. That, why can't I not think of that word? <laughs> oh, no. But they're like, yeah, it's butterfly and a chicken. And I'm like, how the fuck did you know that? They're like, I watched the Food Network. I'm like, Ugh. oh. That's the part that I have to skip over. <laughs> I don't like Ugh. that kind of stuff. Mm-mm. Y'all let us know if y'all know what the hell spatchcocking was before this. Right? Is it an ING? Is it a verb? It's not a verb, but you get the point. Yeah, not sure. Meanwhile, sixth grade English was very hard for me. I don't really know the difference in all those verbs, yes, adverbs. Yes, you do. But like, I don't, but I do, but I don't. <laughs> sixth grade English was like the hardest class I think I've ever taken in my life. Really? Oh my God. I remember it being so difficult. Like, oh, I loved it. Of course you did. We're, we're so different when it comes to school. Uh-huh. Yeah, you like math. But like dissecting sentences and stuff, I'm not good at it. This is why I can never homeschool my kid. Well, my sentence structure sucks, but I know it sucks because when I say it, I'm like, oh, that sentence structure. But that's just how I say it. I know sometimes people say sentence. I'm like, oh, see how to flip those words. Yeah. Well, speaking of school, Donna and I had our uh, 20-year class reunion this past weekend. We did. We did. And we survived. We both took extra abuse bar, but it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because one, you know, Donna can't drink because of her blood thinner. But two, uh, there was no alcohol. So your girls needed their PRN abuse bar. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. It was good to see everyone. Well, you know, who came. Yeah, there was like, how many people you think? You, I just said I was bad with numbers. I don't know. 30, 50. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it was about 30 from us. So like spouses and stuff, you know, close to 50. <laughs> okay. Reunions have just lost their luster because of social media. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, like the people you want to know about, you've kept up with, you know? Yeah. Like, I may not know what you do for a living, but like, I know who you're married to. I know if you had kids and, you know. Oh yeah, you just went to Disney World. You know, like we yeah. know that because we saw all the pictures. But it was good to see people in person, even though it was hot as fuck up in there sometimes. And you know that Donna's very cold. Like I'm burning up right now and she's got her arms in her shirt. <laughs> that damn blood thinner makes her cold nature. But like I'm sweating. So if she was hot while we were there, it was hot. I will say that I'm glad the reunion happened when it did. Because this past week, I have been so emotional. Like I'll get just 
over everything. Same. Literally, everything is on my nerves and I keep crying. Like, for literally no reason. Colby's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, but like, what's wrong? You're crying. What's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, what do I need to do? And I was like, just let me cry. Yes. I know. Like, if I think about something, I'll start to tear up. And I was going to Old Navy to return something. And I was like, don't cry. Like, don't think about anything. Like, you're about to get out in public, girl. And like, for no reason. There was no reason for me to be upset or anything like that. I I don't even know. You know, I get so emotional sometimes. Like, my body doesn't know how to handle the emotion. Yeah. I think we just assumed something was in retrograde. Right. Mercury is usually the one that gets the blame. But so I don't know what it was. But uh, can it get in antegrade? May have made that up. No idea. So just know if you've been feeling like this this past week, you're not alone. Yeah, your girls have been a hot fucking mess. Mm-hmm. But you know who loves us through our messiness? Well, you got Colby, but no one's loved me through my messiness. Except for me and Tiffany. Well, yeah, you know. But I meant Patreoners. So thank you so much, Michelle P. from Illinois. Jill W. from Illinois. Jamie D. from Texas. And Holly C. from We Need Your Address. And we need it if you want the stickers and a thank you letter. And if you want all that that Donna was talking about, plus some bonus episodes every single week, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. So we've been trying something new. It's live recording of Am I the Asshole? We've done it twice so far and I freaking love it. I love getting everyone's input and, you know, it's just a big like discussion group, but about the most like asinine things. I don't know. It's actually healthy discussion discussions, but also a lot of fun. You got any uh, movies or TV? I do. I have one show. I finished Cardinal in time. I don't know if it's expired or it was lying, but I did finish it in time. But then on AMC Plus, there's a show called Liar, and it's this doctor and this teacher. They kind of know each other, but don't really. They go on a date, but she wakes up and says that he raped her, and he says, no, I didn't. And so it's who's telling the truth because they're both so believable and it goes through like what they're going through and everything. There's a second season that I'm on right now. So if you like that kind of like, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? You know, all the things you would love this. Um, also, you have all of the streaming services known to man. Okay, well, I just canceled some, but AMC Plus, that was a, a trial. You get seven days. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on, girl. I'm like, God dang. But I did just get rid of two streaming things because I was like, I don't watch them enough to keep them. Yeah, I know. I, I saw this TikTok the other day. I know y'all probably get so tired of us talking about TikTok. They probably get so tired of you saying, oh my God, y'all are probably so tired of us talking about TikTok. Touche. One day though, I'm going to delete it. I just, I just am because I really do spend too much time on it. However, I saw this the other day and it was a guy going, this town has so many tournament ball leagues. There's like 20 in the town. And he was like, I wonder if we could get them all together and form like a little league or something. And it would like save a lot of money and people wouldn't have to travel. He's like, I wonder if anybody's ever done that before. That's what I think about now with the streaming services. I'm like, everybody got away from cable to pay for all of these streaming services. When I feel like one day the pendulum is going to swing back because everybody's going to be like, Why are we paying for all of these when we could get them all in cable? Yeah, I totally get that. So you know how we were talking about before Father's Day, how I told Colby, like my dark humor, like at least we only had to buy one gift. I don't think you said it here. Uh, You did it on Am I the Asshole? Oh, okay. So this is technically mine and your second Father's Day without our dads because, well, your dad passed in January of last year and then my dad passed like right before Father's Day. Yeah. And I told Colby, I was like, well, bright side, we only have to buy 
one Father's Day gift this year. And he was like, Carrie, at my dark humor, which I think he really did think was funny. He just, you know, I think he doesn't want me to be sad. So he thinks when I'm saying those things, it's because I'm like super sad. Yeah. Which I mean, you don't know me at all. But (laughs) but on actual Father's Day, we were leaving his parents' house and we were going to the cemetery for the first, actually the first time I've been there since the day of his funeral. But anyway, because for Mother's Day, we had gotten my mom a little bench, like a concrete bench to put out like at the end of the grave so that she could have somewhere to sit because she goes a lot. And I was like, it is Father's Day and we still have not put this thing out for her. Like, we've got to do it Sunday. Yeah. It's literally been sitting in the back of Colby's truck since the day before Mother's Day when we bought it. So when we were leaving his parents' house, I was like, all right, we got to go see my dad now. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they thought it was funny or I'm crazy. Maybe both. Probably both. My mom met us at the gravesite, and then we went and got ice cream after because she was like, I just really don't want to be alone. Like, let's hang out. And I was like, um, of course. So we went to this place to get ice cream, and she was like, I want two scoops of vanilla because God love her. She is where I get my bladder shit from. She's having bladder shit, so she could only have vanilla. She was like, I want two scoops. Well, the lady was like, okay, it's going to be like this tall. Their two scoops was like four scoops everywhere else. So I was like, because I know my mama. And I was like, are you you sure you want that two scoops? And she said, yes, and I'm going to eat it all. I said, okay, you do what you want because, I mean, I would eat it all, but... I also know my mama. Yeah. But then again, she does call vanilla ice cream her stomach medicine. So (laughs) she does. She's like, you want to go get some ice cream? I need my stomach's hurting. I got two scoops with three servings of sprinkles. Imagine that. (laughs) It was perfect. She put so many sprinkles in it. It was perfect. Colby got a banana split that I swear to God was the size of an iPad. Good. It was. At first I was like, damn, that banana split is $10. Because I was going to get one. I was like, shit, we're not spending 20 bucks on banana splits splits you yeah. know and then when she made that thing I was like no wonder it's 10 bucks three people could eat that God. I mean we all ate all of our ice cream but I did I did eat some of Colby's too but anyway did your mom eat all of her ate every last bite oh she's an emotional eater like me I know I was like you're not gonna eat dinner she's like no I'm not gonna eat dinner because this is like three not o'clock. like me <laughs> yeah no Colby and I still ate dinner mom not so much well, before we get into Donna's story, we got to talk about base because they're back and we love base products. I got a lot of extra baggage, but base has all the luggage for me. Summer's here. It's time to travel. Kids are out of school. You got places to go and people to see. And by that, I mean the grandparents to drop the kids off. <laughs> And base is an overpacker's dream, a.k.a. mine and Donna's dream luggage. It really can fit everything. Think Merlin on Sword in the Stone when he's packing and he just keeps putting things in his satchel and in his satchel. That's me with the weekender that I have because it opens up wide and you can put so much stuff inside. And it all fits every single time. I feel very seen with base because they acknowledge that, you know what? You may want to bring 15 pairs of underwear just for a weekend trip. I do. Y'all know my oddity of what if somebody throws me in a swimming pool? (laughs) Very true. Why would that ever happen as an adult? Unsure, but I'm fearful (laughs) of it. So that's why I take so many underwear. But with my base weekender bag, it all fits. And if you're anything like me and Carrie, you have high anxiety. And with flying, having to get there early, you know I'm not an on-time kind of gal. But with base, you don't have to because it has a great little zippered compartment that helps you go through TSA easy. You can remove anything that you need to while you go through security. 
And the whole time, you look great because it is very fashionable luggage. It was created by Shay Mitchell, the actress, Pretty Little Liars. Love her. And you know what? That tells you right there that it's going to be good, fashionable luggage because she would not put her name on something that's not. Donna and I both have the Weekender bags and we love it. But they also have pieces of luggage. Again, all of this is built to look better with usage. The luggage has a 360 degree gliding wheels, freaking cushion handles, a built-in weight indicator. You got washable bags for your dirty clothes and tons of pockets, like Donna said, to help keep you organized. And the colors. Oh my God, the colors I'm obsessed with. Every single one of them. The Weekender bag I have is gray. And then what do you, what color is yours? Black. But they have new like spring colors, like a whole new line. So you got to check it out because they are changing the colors all the time. And with over 30,000 five-star reviews, you know you are getting quality pieces. And right now, Base is offering 15% off your first purchase by going to basetravel.com slash creep. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash creep, C-R-E-E-P, for 15% off of your first purchase. You will not be disappointed in this luggage. Like I said, it is such high quality, good pieces that will get better with time. And you're going to love all the compartments and all the little zippers and everything that helps keep you organized. So go to basetravel.com slash creep for 15% off your first purchase. Okay, so this week I'm doing a recommendation from Instagram and it comes from Sheepdog Nutrition and Training. So that's at Sheepdog Nutrition Inc, like I-N-C. They reached out and they were like, look, I saw a house that was local to me on Paranormal Witness and I need you to check it out. So I'm like, uh, okay, I love that show. So we're going to talk about the Lewis family and the poltergeist that haunted their home. Picture it, Marina Valley, California, 2006. Susan Lewis was a single mom and she had found the perfect house for her and her daughter, Jamie. Soon after moving in, Susan's boo, Matt, moved in too. Now, he was also a single parent to a daughter whose name was Marie. She was around Jamie's age, so it was nice that they had someone, you know, they could relate to and basically have a live-in best friend. Everyone was getting along really well, and they all loved the house. Jamie described it as her sanctuary. Susan's boyfriend, Matt, he was one of those guys, well, I mean, he was a man, but you know, he was one of those guys who was the life of the party, and he really brought a lot of joy to Susan. And when you're happy, your children can feel it, and it's just an amazing time for their new family. However, it wasn't too long after Matt and Marie moved in, like just a few weeks, there was some strange activity that started to happen. One afternoon, while the girls were in the pool and Matt was outside with them, Susan went into the kitchen because she was going to make some lunch for him. Can I just say that nothing tastes as good as lunch in the pool or like eating right after you get out of the pool? Cold sandwich with Doritos on the sandwich. Yes! Perfect pool food ever. Yes. Oh my God. You're exactly right. And then after it, to have a popsicle that you freeze the juice and you have to cut it. Oh, that kind, yeah. Oh, the best. I also love pizza after a pool day. Yeah, but like, I'm talking about like while you're in the pool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you could like dip the popsicle in the pool a little bit to it like melts it just enough so you can drink it. (laughs) 
it's a it's a special technique I have. And uh, let's see. So Susan walked into the kitchen and she noticed there was a jar of peanut butter that was turned on its side and the contents were leaking out. It was like someone had heated the peanut butter up and it was now more of a liquid. So Susan thought it was one of the girls playing a prank or even one of the cats maybe had knocked over the jar and maybe the heat had caused the peanut butter to melt. You know, she was just trying to think of logical explanations, but she asked the girls and they both denied it. So Susan just chalked it up to like a weird accident and they went on about their day and just kind of swept that incident under the rug. But when they got back inside that night, things were anything but normal inside the house. There were household items that looked like they were arranged in a pattern or, you know, purposely staged that way. There were cans of food and even a stuffed animal in the microwave. It wasn't just in the kitchen. There were cans of food leading up to the stairs. And then in the bathroom, shampoo bottles were stacked on top of each other, kind of like Stonehenge kind of stacked, you know? And the hairbrushes were even in like a star pattern. Also, it looked like some kind of liquid was mixed with the shampoo and it was all over their walls. This was too much to take in. And they immediately began filming everything because they thought someone had come in and just wrecked their home. But they didn't call the police. Instead, it just kind of became more of a game of Among Us. If you've ever played it, like everyone is suspicious of everyone else. Mainly because Susan believed Marie was the culprit and Matt believed Jamie was doing this to try to get attention. Both of them blamed each other's kids. That's what I was just about to say. Like, of course, they blame their stepchild. Yeah. Which comes with its own host of issues. Right. And also, it just didn't make sense because the girls were getting along so well. But, you know, looks can be deceiving. So, the once happy home started to have a little crack in the love tank. But life carried on, and about one week later, both the girls were in Jamie's room doing their homework. And that's best, too. Doing homework with a friend. Like, just sitting there talking while you're doing work. Even if you're not talking and you're still just doing your work, I will be so much more productive than just me sitting alone doing it. Yeah. Jamie was drinking coffee and she was like Carrie, had a few sips in and then she had to pee. You know, you don't know me at all. (laughs) In fact, you know me very well. Uh Uh-huh. Well, when Jamie got back, she saw that the coffee cup had tipped over on her bed and so the coffee had like spilt out. Now, Marie was alone in the room, so Jamie blamed it on her. But Marie was like, I didn't even hear anything. Like I've had my head down in the books and shit. Nothing made a sound. I'm only now knowing it because you just yelled at me for this. Now, the next part didn't make sense to me, but also I have stains on everything, so there's that. Jamie went and got a bottle of bleach to clean up the spilt coffee. And I'm just like, you're going to willy-nilly use a bleach like that? I don't know. It just scared me because, like, where's your Dawn dish soap at? Bleach scares me. Okay, well, it doesn't scare me. It's just, like, on your bed. Like, I would just, yeah, use some Dawn or some shit. Right? Or, like, take it off and then put the bleach in the washing machine and stuff. Like, I don't know. It was just weird. Like, I'm not just like pouring bleach on a thing. Yeah, that was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> you said bleach scares me. It does. I think because my mom, because I was always a curious child and I would want to like touch anything she was touching and doing mm-hmm. it, you know, and she was like, that will burn you. Yeah, that is true. And I mean, it does. But like, to me, her saying that like my skin would like rot off. True. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it's like, yes. even now when I buy bleach, 
in a store, I'm like, oh, should I touch it without the gloves on? <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous. Wow, you really have a thing with bleach. I really do. When I'm at work and I have to use it, I'm like, please don't splash on my scrubs. I can't afford new ones. <laughs> because I will just wear these with a bleach stain. <laughs> Remember that time that you borrowed my sweater? You know what? I never even worn it. And Carrie got bleach on the belly. Okay, first of all, it's because my mom, it was on Christmas Day and it was a Christmas sweatshirt. My mom wiped the counter down with bleach. Who does that? So when I, <laughs> it was like a, like a spray bleach. And so when I leaned over the counter, I'm fat. My belly touched it <laughs> and it got a line. And I'm like, mom, why did you use bleach on the counter? Why are we even cleaning right now? <laughs> Y'all, this is the story of my life, though. Like, oh, I have this new thing. I haven't worn it. Here, Carrie, you wear it. Tears it up. <laughs> She's not wrong. Remember those pajama pants? Oh, my God. <laughs> Christmas she, present. Done. She Look, she always had these, like, really expensive pajama pants from, like, Lane Bryant Lane and Bryant. stuff. I'm like, bitch, these things are, like, 80 bucks. I don't know how much they are. But this is when we lived in the dorm, and I had the top bunk. And I was trying to crawl, like I climbed up the little stair thing and I put one knee down and then I put the other knee down to like kneel my way across the bed and rip the crutch. Well, also they were too big on her, but also Carrie's waist and my waist, totally different waist. Very. (laughs) So hers were like low riders, how she had them, you know, and so like the crotch was hanging down a little bit and yeah, she, she snatched that crotch. (laughs) Things you never thought you'd say on your podcast. <laughs> so, okay. Jamie got the bleach and she's not scared of it. But she bends down to pick up the coffee cup. Because I guess homegirl was like, oh, let me go get the bleach right now and not pick up anything before I go do it. I don't know. Me and her, not the same cleaner. <laughs> but when she bent over, she heard something. And when she looked back up, her drawers were open. Like the side dresser drawer. And the bleach had been open and knocked over, pouring out onto her clothes. So her crotch wasn't snatched. It was the actual drawers, not her undergarment drawers. Yeah. Well, Jamie immediately blamed Marie because even though she didn't see Marie get up or anything and it happened like inhumanly fast, Marie was there and who else could have done it? And Marie was like, stop acting like this and accusing me like I haven't moved. I'm still here. I didn't do it the first time and I wouldn't do this to you. So the two teen girls fighting. And we all know what that sounds like because we've either been those girls or lived with them. Susan rushed in to see what all the screaming was about. And just when Susan walked into the room, a picture fell off the wall. And at first it's like, oh, okay, that was weird. But then another one fell. So they were like, what the fuck? Susan gathered the girls and they left the house for a while until they calmed down. They were all sure none of them were to blame for this and there was something going on that they really didn't understand in the house. So finally, they calmed down, they went back home, and when they arrived back home, there were the same canned food on the stairs, like they were breadcrumbs going up the stairs, and they couldn't wrap their mind around it, and when Matt got home, they all told him what happened, and he didn't believe them. He thought they were all playing a prank on him, or maybe that the girls were playing a prank, and Susan's fell for it, she's bought into this, and now she's, you know, hysterical just like the girls are. So all of this started to cause Matt and Susan to have a fight, and that tension just remained in the house. 
No one went to sleep real happy that night, and the girls were certainly on edge, but it really didn't matter because no one was going to get a deep sleep that night. You could hear doors opening and closing, and even the burner turning itself on and off. Susan, Marie, and Jamie were all scared shitless, but Matt just felt like it was one of the girls, again, probably Jamie, not his daughter, doing this. But Susan was like, fine, don't believe us. I'm going to find a way to help us. So she talked to her friend and, you know, she kept telling her friend all about what was going on. And that friend was like, you know what? You might need to give the entity an offering. Say, here, this is for you. We respect you. You know, we don't want to harm you. Here you go. But could you please ever so kindly leave us the fuck alone? (laughs) Susan was like, consider that done. And she went and got a little cat figure because she loved cats. And so she thought, okay, this is something that I cherish. And if I am giving this as a gift, maybe that means something. So she offered it up as a gift and asked the spirit to leave her family alone. Well, guess what happened? It got worse? No. Well, it did. But Matt came in and Susan was repeating that, you know, it was a gift and pleading for it to take it as a sign of love and respect and to leave them alone. And well, Matt kind of lost it. He got the cat figurine from the table because she had like some candles around the cat figurine. I mean, she really didn't know what she was doing. She was just kind of, this might make it feel a little bit more formal kind of thing. But he took the cat figurine, threw it out the window. (gasps) And was like, what kind of shit are you doing? And everyone was begging Matt not to throw it outside because they believed they were doing the right thing. Well, when they all calmed down from just screaming at each other, they realized the cat statue was right back where it had been. And that just angered Matt. Like he didn't even see that it couldn't have been anyone fucking with him because they were all there the entire time. He just picked the cat figurine up and smashed it on the floor. Angry much? Right. And this upset everyone, excluding Matt, because he didn't see the big deal. And again, that tension just hung in the air. Jamie is a girl after my own heart, and she needed a little late midnight snacky snack. (laughs) And so she went to the kitchen, and she was met with shit all over the walls. Like, not actual shit, but it was the word cat written, like, scribbled all over the walls. So she went to get her mom and Matt, she was like, what the fuck? We told you this was real and Matt, you threw the cat figurine and now it's saying cat. Like Mm -hmm. it's fucking mad. Right. And Matt was like, it was just you doing that. You're just doing that. Like you were the one in the kitchen and then you came and got us. So Susan flew off the handle, but I typed on the handle. So (laughs) whatever. But you know, you're not going to talk to my daughter that way, you know? So they sent Jamie to her room, probably without her snack, and they started to clean up the kitchen. I can just hear them bickering and all of that like turmoil right there between them. And lo and behold, in the mess that the kitchen was, there were some footprints. But it was bigger than the girls and Susan's, so Matt couldn't blame it on them. But he did. I was going to say, but I'm sure he'll find a way because he blames everything on them. Yes. Especially the kids. He was in denial and he was not going to start believing anytime soon. But more than that, the footprint wasn't human looking. It looked like it was really wide. So picture my Fred Flintstone feet, but even wider. And then three round toes on it. And now they had cats, but this was like jumbo sized. So it wasn't little paw prints. And let's be honest, that still is kind of describing your foot. I have more than three toes. Yeah, but they are kind of round. They are. So Matt's in denial. The girls are scared out of their mind, which includes Susan. 
However, like it always is, Susan cannot leave this house because she has all of her financials tied up in this. So they're just kind of stuck. Now, there was a time between what happened and then what's going to happen later that the stuff going on inside the house turned to the cats. Like the cat got hurt? Yes. Well, I don't want to know. Well, I have to tell y'all. They had two cats and they had two litters of kittens each. They said they were healthy and happy, but one by one, each kitten got really sick. Susan said it was like each kitten died one after another, and she believes that whatever was attacking her house, it was using the animal's energy to grow stronger. Like, it was attacking the cats now as well. See, I didn't go into too much detail. Thank God. I do not like the animals getting hurt. No, me either. I mean, nobody likes it. You get my point, though. I mean, I guess you could if you're like Jeffrey Dahmer, but you get the point. Now, normally things were happening to Jamie, but one day Marie was home alone and she was watching TV, you know, just trying to keep her mind preoccupied. Well, the TV started switching on and off, and finally the TV just remained off. So Marie was like, what the fuck? Of course the TV dies when I'm watching it. So she reached for the remote to see if she could turn it back on, and that's when the remote flew from the side table it was on. Like someone had just like shoved it off the table. So Marie started freaking out like, okay, this isn't just an electronic issue. Like this is the ghost. And it's like it was on cue to confirm that Marie's thinking was correct. The rocking chair started rocking like Carrie was sitting in it. And by that, I mean going 90 to nothing, like hard rocking. She rocks with a purpose. Then, because that wasn't chaotic enough, pictures started falling off the wall again. Marie picked up a camera that all the women in the house tried to keep one near them when they were home to document what the fuck was going on. So Marie started taking pictures until she couldn't stand being in the room any longer and she ran out of the house. She called Susan and asked when they would be home and Susan was like, ASAP because you sound panicked as fuck. So they put the pedal to the metal and zoom zoomed back home. All of them saw that the room was an absolute wreck. You know, they comforted Marie and tried to get her as calm as she could be. And then Marie showed both Susan and her dad the picture she took. And there were orbs and light leaks all over the pictures. Light leaks? You know, like in cinematography when the light is captured and it kind of has that like, is it like refraction or something? Fuck, I don't know. I don't know. But also her pictures, you know, like when people do fireworks and they do it on like the timed Mm -hmm. things and it's kind of like the light is moving. Yeah. But still, that's what this kind of looked like. So finally, Matt was like, okay, something isn't right here. And I think because this happened to his daughter, Mm -hmm. so it was finally like, okay, she was by herself. She wouldn't have done this. She's visibly shaken. This isn't a prank. It's real. But Matt didn't know what to do. So he just got out the phone book and started looking up local churches. And after several saying, oh, sorry, we can't help you. There was a pastor who was like, okay, I will be there. The pastor was like, oh, like walking around. He was like, oh, this is bad. There's spiritual warfare going on here. So he prayed with the family, prayed over the house. And then he was basically like, well, that's what we can do. We can't help you any further. And they're like, but wait, wait, tell us what to do. And he's like, can't help you. This is as much as I can do. What the hell? So fast forward a week and now Jamie was home alone. 
She was in her room and she was startled by someone pounding on her door. Like it wasn't a simple knock. It was the kind that made the door rattle. It was the kind of knock that Carrie does when I'm in the bathroom and she wants to scare me. That kind of knock. It's a good knock. (laughs) Well, after a little bit, Jamie was like, okay, I got to get out of here. She went to open the door and the knocking just stopped. You know, at first you would think, okay, cool, because then you'll just leave. But there was that eerie feeling in the air and Jamie was just like, oh my God, and ran back to her bed. And she started filming the door because she's like, oh my God, what is out there? And the knocking started again and it went on for a few hours. Finally, it stopped and Jamie opened the door. You know, she had stayed in her room because as scary as it was, that was still her safe space. And whatever was knocking was on the other side of the door. Right. But she saw the hallway was littered with pots, pans, silverware, you know, and she was going to like make a run for it. But she was like, oh, God. Then Jamie noticed also her doorknob was bent and there was a dent in her door. And out of the corner of her eye, Jamie saw the bathroom light flickering. Now, the door was kind of closed, but they didn't have a knob on the door. So she saw it through the hole in the door. So in her mind, she's thinking it must be in the bathroom. And so she went and got some string that she had and she figured that she could trap it inside the bathroom. So she looped the string through that knob hole (laughs) (laughs) and she pulled the strings tight to hold the door closed. Then she went back into her room, scared, you know, while Jamie was there, she like laid against the door to keep all her body weight on that door. She could hear utensils and other stuff slamming against the walls. And just when Jamie thought she couldn't take it any longer, everything stopped. But then she smelled smoke. So she was scared that something was on fire. And so she sprang out of her room and into action. And there were pieces of toilet paper and paper towels all over the hallway. And some were on fire. Like a whole roll in a frying pan on the floor in the hall was on fire. So Jamie was able to get the small fires put out, but that was her last straw. She was thinking, oh my God, whatever it is, this entity, it was trying to kill me and burn this house down. Now it's not just torturing us, like it wanted to harm me. So she went outside and waited for Susan and Matt to get home. Well, Jamie had captured all the activity on her camera. And so she was able to show them what she had just endured. And they were like, okay, this is too dangerous. So they had no choice but to leave. No amount of financial loss would make up for if one of them got injured. Also, by this point, there was a huge wedge between Matt and Susan. And so they decided to end their relationship. And even though they never rekindled their relationship after moving out of the house, Jamie and Marie remained close. Now, Susan said after they moved out, it was just a few weeks later and some of the neighbors left as well. So there ended up being five houses for sale on that block. And Susan did have to file for bankruptcy due to moving from the house. But as hard as the financial strain was, nothing compared to the terror and the hardships that they went through in that house. People call this a poltergeist because it does sound like that. You know, teenage girls, it's a new like family dynamic. Things are happening. It's messy. It's noisy. All the things. But the footprints were weird. And that kind of reminded me like imps or something like that. But they're little, right? They are. I mean, allegedly. I don't know. (laughs) But I don't know. Like it just seemed like some kind of nefarious creature. It just seemed more of like that prankster, little shitster type. Also, 
Toilet paper is expensive and necessary. So do not do anything to my toilet paper. That's what I say every day when I close all the doors in my uh, house because my dog will eat my toilet paper. (laughs) No, he shreds my toilet paper and eats the tubing in the middle. Let's be clear. (laughs) But yes, that is the Marina Valley poltergeist. Though I don't know if it's a poltergeist or not. I don't know. I mean, it it did sound like a poltergeist. Meanwhile, I thought this whole time it was poltergeist. To be fair, though, I always say polty. You also say bloops for our bloopers. I know, it's amazing. I don't know what it is, but I know Matt was a jerk. Yeah, he was. If three people are telling you they're experiencing something, you have major trust issues. If you're like, my daughter's line, my soon-to-be stepdaughter's line, my girlfriend's line to me, they're all trying to prank me. It was more so he didn't believe the others. He was more apt to believe his daughter. Yeah. I was wondering if they were going to get back together after they left that house. Because it also seemed like the house was feeding off of the negative energy. And so it was creating more and more and more. But I think once you've had that level of distrust, it would be hard for her to go back to him. Yeah. And I mean, maybe him too. When you've been through something real hard like that together, Mm -hmm. I mean, you think it would bring you closer together, but sometimes it brings you apart because you can't bear to remember it. That's true. Yeah. Like losing a child. The statistics for marriages ending in divorce for people who have lost a child are like astronomical. 80% or something. I don't know. Completely. You just throw these statistics out there. I didn't make that number up, but it really is like a significant portion of people who lose a child end up in divorce. And I'm talking like a child, like under 18, not, you know, later in life and you lose a child. I'm talking about a kid under 18. And I think some of that is blame game. And some of that is, you know, you went through something so hard and you just remind each other of the trauma over and over and over again yeah well and people grieve differently so if one person's taking it harder and the other person you know or if one person wants to dwell in it and the other person wants to try to move on mm -hmm. to move past it it's hard I mean, that's what it shows in the movies. But even when it comes to losing a parent, like that's one thing that Colby and I agreed on, like because he is so close to his parents and stuff. And I was like, if either one of us ever suggests to the other one, like, I really think you might need to go see somebody about this. We've like made a pact that you're going to go because the other person can see in you what you can't see in you, you know? So like, if you're really struggling with something, that was my example when I talked to him about it. You're just preparing. You know what? (laughs) You're just preparing. But you know what I mean? Like, because again, people just process things differently. And I mean, not saying that like I have been wonderful through the death of my dad. There's definitely been some moments. Yeah. Meanwhile, that had absolutely nothing to do with your story. But you understand the thought process. (laughs) You understand the track of that my mind was going. Uh Uh-huh. Well, my story is from a listener recommendation as well, but before we get into my story, we got to talk about cult coffee because they are back and I freaking love it. Have you had a couple of cups right now? Also, remember how I got the monthly subscription box that came with the book and the two things of the two ounce coffee and I am in the depths of this book. Oh, really? I am freaking in it. I'm like, (laughs) can we please stop recording so I can go back and read? (laughs) Oh, dang. Uh, the book I'm reading is The Nanny right now, and it's by, I think, Gilly McMahon. But anyway, it's so good. But the book changes every month. That just happened to be the book the month that I got it. So if you want that, you can get the True Crime and Coffee monthly subscription box for a one-time purchase of $19.99 or sign up as a monthly subscription and get it for $18.99. Well freaking worth it. And like I said, it comes with two mini two-ounce little bags of fresh, locally roasted coffee along with the book 
And the coffee is so good, y'all. And then those little two ounce bags, because I have a Keurig, I use my little Keurig thing. And I think I got three cups of coffee out of each bag. And she likes a big cup of coffee. Oh, you ain't wrong about that. She likes them big. My men and my coffee (laughs) cups. Also, you like them bold. You like bold coffee too. That's true. And cult coffee has several different flavors. So you could get the coffee sample box for $14.99. And that'll have four different coffee blends. So in total, that's eight two-ounce bags. And you can kind of mix and match that. So you really get what you want. Also, I love their price transparency, like through their ads and all, because you're not going to the website and be like, oh my God, how, okay, how much is this going to cost? Mm-hmm. Like they're so transparent with like, this is how much it is. Definitely. I love their branding. I love the coffee. I love everything about this company. I really do too. And not for nothing, they are creepsters. They really are. What else can I agree with you on? Not usually anything. <laughs> But we do agree that we both love cold coffee. We love that it is roasted in Texas. We love that it is a family business. Yes, Colt Coffee is a father and a daughter. They both love coffee and they both love true crime. I mean, it's like the end-all be-all of a father-daughter relationship. Right? You know what? When my dad, when he would drink cups of coffee, sometimes he would make toast and he would dip his toast in his coffee. I feel like that's a British thing to do. Is it? And for this month, I think that the coffee of the month is the Equator Fusion FTO. And that, like Donna said, it's roasted in Texas. The beans are from around the equator. And it is perfect for cold brew lovers. It's very dark, low acidity, which I love. I feel like all the coffee was low acidity because it didn't have this like bitter aftertaste. Mm. It's just such a good flavor. And you know, sometimes when you get what I would consider boutique coffee, sometimes it's hard to measure it out when you're making like a pot of coffee. This wasn't. So y'all have to get in on cult coffee. So what you do, you go to www.cult.com dot coffee that's it no dot com no nothing like that www.cult.coffee and enter promo code creep10 that's creep10 and you're going to get 10% off your order again that is www.cult.coffee and enter code creep10 for 10% off your order you can also follow them on instagram or twitter at underscore cult underscore coffee underscore So don't forget www.cult.coffee and use promo code CREEP10 for 10% off your order. Okay, so my story came from a recommendation in the Facebook group from Nicole L-W. I never know what letter of their last name to to do when you have a hyphen. So um, Nicole L-W. So let me just say there is a blog called Midwest Crime Files and this article was written by Gina Glob. That was a place that I got a lot of good information and then there is a book written about this case. I'm not telling you the name of the book right now but there is a YouTube video called True Crime Real Stories and they go into all these different books written like true crime books and they interview the author of the book that I'm not telling you the name of yet. I'll tell you the name later but anyway it's written by Robert Lee Hanlon. So we're talking about the Odell family. Now it's spelled O-D-L-E. A couple of places I heard it pronounced Odell, but like by and large, Odell. Okay, so the Odell family was comprised of Robert and Carolyn, who were the parents. They got married and lived in Illinois. 
Now, it said that when Carolyn grew up, she actually had a pretty abusive childhood. And unfortunately, that cycle of abuse continued when she had her own children. Conversely, Robert was very passive and he was one that just kind of let Carolyn do whatever she wanted to. So it didn't matter how she wanted to raise the kids or abuse the kids. Robert never stepped in on the kid's behalf or stopped her. So their firstborn was Thomas and he was born in 1966. And from the get-go, Carolyn did not like Thomas. She didn't want Thomas, and she very much let him know that. What the actual fuck? Just don't understand having kids if you hate them so badly. Like, I get that people get in bonds. I just don't understand it. And I get there are circumstances in which it is an accident and all of that, but they go on to have more kids, like... And this is what was so hard about Carolyn and Robert, specifically Carolyn, is that she was like this upstanding member of society. Like she was president of the PTO. Like she was involved in the community. They were seen as upstanding. Well, I don't know why I said up like that, (laughs) but upstanding members of the community. That's what makes it so hard to wrap your brain around Mm -hmm. this because what you were seeing in public was so different than what was happening at home. But Thomas wasn't allowed to have friends. He certainly wasn't allowed to go over to friends' houses. He had to stay home. It said that even if he did have like a neighborhood kid over, she would literally like chase them away. But I'm like, okay, if that happened though, why were you such known as such like an upset? You know what I mean? Like you're like a get off my stoop lady, you know? Right. I mean, she could have just said, no, he's in trouble. He can't play with you. Right. But when Thomas was around five years old, his sister Robin was born. Robin was doted on. Robin was loved. Robin was taken care of, whereas Thomas was not. Robin got all of the love that Thomas didn't ever get. If Robin and Carolyn, you know, the mom and daughter were in a room together, Thomas wasn't even allowed to come in. What? And Carolyn was not only emotionally, verbally abusive, she was physically abusive as well. After Robin was born, their next child was born in 1972, and that was Sean. Now, Sean was hated just like Tom. So she hated males? No, because they had Another son, and this was the last, so it was only four, his name was Scott, and he was doted on just like Robin. So Carolyn was mean to Thomas and Sean only. I don't know. It's this bizarre situation. The other thing that they would make Thomas do is he basically had to raise Sean. It was like the mom would kind of take care of the others, but it did seem like he had to take care of all of them, but for sure Sean. Like she had nothing to do with the two of them. Their dad worked nights. So at like four o'clock, he would go to work. And then the mom liked to like go out with her friends and stuff. So the kids were left alone a lot. Now, some of this abuse, we, we don't know for sure. But some of the abuse is substantiated because apparently Sean went to school and told people that he had been chained up at night to stop him from stealing food. Oh my gosh. But the details that I've gotten on this, some stuff says that the Department of Child and Family Services or whatever is is who, but it's like DHS here, I think. But anyway, some stuff said that they came because of Thomas being chained up, but I think that they both would be chained up as a way of like torture and control of them, especially when the mom left because she would control them with food 
food. But no matter what, DCFS did come in. And again, another area where I've seen both. Some stuff says that Sean was taken from the house. And then some things say that Scott, the youngest, was taken from the house. Just temporarily while they kind of sorted it out. But no matter which one it was that was taken, I don't know why it would be Scott if it was Sean who made the allegation or why they weren't all taken, but they ended up being put back into the home. Allegedly, Thomas and Sean would be chained up for like two to four times a week. And then again, it would happen for hours on end while she was out and about. And eventually, Thomas grew up. And he was like, we're not doing this anymore. Like, you're not hitting me anymore. She went to hit him one time and he like stopped her and was like, you're not doing this anymore. And so she quit physically abusing him, but continued the verbal, you're worthless. I never wanted you, you know, all of the verbal and mental abuse. Yeah, God bless. So Thomas did what any adolescent at this point would do and he acted out he got in trouble with burglarizing like neighbors and he started using a lot of drugs like like hard stuff like cocaine heroin i mean of course he smoked pot too but like heavy stuff drinking a lot this was obviously a huge problem that he was acting out in these ways now thomas when he was like 17 18 got a young girl pregnant like i'm talking like 14 year old oh shit And I think this was his, like, the families, not necessarily police involved, but the families were like, you don't want to go to jail for statutory rape, you need to go in the army. And so he was like, right, because that's going to fix him, like, hook it up with younger girls. But he did join the military, and the young girl was forced to have an abortion. So while he was in the army, he really struggled. Like, he was not cutting it in all the boot camp and all the things. And apparently, he and this girl continued to write back and forth. He really thought, like, he was going to go home, and she was going to be waiting on him, which she wasn't. So after just a couple of months in the military, he was like, oh, you know what? Oh, can't do this. My knee hurts. And so he was medically discharged from the army. Oh, shit. So from there, things got worse with Thomas because he kind of always saw himself as this failure because that's what he was taught his whole life. Now he had gotten out of the military and he was back home and the girl was with somebody else and what didn't wait on him. And he was really having issues with his parents because, duh, But again, he's back into his thievery ways and all the drug and alcohol and stuff. Things had gotten really bad. And his parents were finally like, look, you got to go. I don't care where you go. Figure out on your own. You're over 18 because you can't stay here. And they had given him a deadline. You have to move out of the house by the time your dad goes to work. So like 4 p.m. on November 8th, 1985. So that day, on November 8th, 1985, Thomas woke up at about 9.30 that morning. His dad was there in the kitchen. Thomas went out, smoked him a cigarette, although some stuff says he smoked a joint. Some stuff even says at some point he did some LSD, but unsure where that happened. Took himself a shower and went down to the kitchen to eat. After he finished eating, before he left the kitchen, he grabbed a butcher knife. Oh no. He put the knife in his pants, pulled his shirt down over the knife so that you couldn't see it, walked out, and decided to come back into the kitchen. Out of nowhere, he stabs his dad in the side of the throat. (gasps) Oh gosh. Now, that doesn't immediately kill his dad. So he starts like reaching, like standing up, kind of staggering, reaching for the phone. And Thomas is like, don't do that. Sit back down. 
don't touch the phone. Oh my gosh. I mean, he's like brandying a knife at him yeah. and he's like, sit back down. So he does what he's told to do. And then Thomas comes and stabs him in the other side of the neck and in the stomach. Oh, fuck. So from there, he drags his father's lifeless body into the bathroom. He got some towels, cleaned up the trail of blood left on the floor, used a mop to kind of clean it up, and waited because his mom was supposed to come back at about 1130 that morning. Now, when Carolyn got home, he literally stood behind the door, and as soon as she walked in, he stabbed her. Holy fuck. He stabbed her multiple times and then took her into their bedroom that like had like, it was like the primary bedroom with like an ensuite is what I'm picturing and forced her to look at her dead husband. Holy shit. So after he shows his mom, her dead husband on the floor, he stabs her to death. Now from here, he takes the clothes that he had on and he washes them and puts on a different set of clothes. So then at about noon, he goes to the high school so he can see his girlfriend. Her name's Teresa because, you know, he's still seeing girls that are underage. And then after he goes and just like hangs out at the high school for a couple of hours with his girlfriend, you could tell it's the 80s because how did he just like get into this school to see somebody? He goes home and starts to clean up some of the blood spatter that's everywhere. Because it was on like the TV, the floor, table, refrigerator, everywhere. And after he cleans up, He just hangs out and watches TV for a little while. What the actual fuck? At about 3.10, Scott comes home. Now, at this point, Scott, the youngest brother, he's only 11. And Scott's like, what's that red stuff on the wall? Oh, so Thomas wasn't that good of a cleaner. No, okay, I don't mean this to sound, I don't know how, I don't want this to sound bad, but like, okay, this morning I had the tiniest little cut on my arm. It was bleeding, and so like I, in the shower, just kind of like washed the blood off. Yeah. And I looked and I'm like, how the fuck did that blood like get on the wall? Like it's like this smallest little thing yeah. just from me like rinsing it off. It's on the wall. Rinse that off. And then I like go do something else. I'm like, shit, it's over here too. Like how did I, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like I don't understand how people think that they can clean up these crime scenes yeah. when just the smallest amount of blood literally got everywhere. That's also you. Touche. But like even thinking about going back to like making a murderer, how they were like, he killed Teresa Hallback in the garage and then he cleaned it up. And it's like, okay, that messy ass garage. Right. You checked every crevice, every crack of that concrete and there was no blood. And you think he cleaned that up? Right. You know, that. so that's what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah. It's like it literally gets everywhere. So of course he didn't clean it up enough and the brother's going to come home and be like, what is this shit on the wall? Yeah. So when Scott asks, Thomas is like, oh, I was painting and it just got on there. Scott's like, but, um, okay, so, and just like, it's trying to ask some follow-up questions, including where the fuck are our parents? Thomas tells him, oh, they went away for the weekend. They left me the car. It's a whole thing. It's cool. So Thomas tells Scott, just go on and go back to your bedroom. So when he gets into his bedroom, Thomas starts strangling Scott with his bare hands. Oh my God. To the point that Thomas his hands got tired before Scott had died. So he then got some pajama bottoms and tied them around Scott's neck until he died. Oh my gosh. Then Thomas dragged Scott's body into his parents' bedroom next to the mom. So like the dad's in the bathroom, kind of the mom's in the bedroom, and now Scott is as well. Then Thomas realizes, oh, fuck, mom is the one that usually picks up Sean and Robin because they're closer in age, so they go to the same school. So he cleans up again, 
for like the 17th time, goes and picks up his other two siblings. Now, in the car, they ask him, like, what happened? Because he had, like, a cut on his hand. You know, they see some blood. Like, they're questioning this, but he just plays it off just like he did with Scott. He, he's got an answer for everything. So, when they get home, Robin, being, like, the teenage girl that she is, is like, I'm out. I'm going to my bedroom. Thomas tells Sean, I've got a surprise for you. Blindfolds Sean and takes him into the bedroom where their mom and their brother are both dead. Oh my God. He then ties Sean's hands behind his back with a towel and stabs Sean in the throat three times. <gasps> he stabbed him in the head and the cheek and he lays him down next to his brother and his mother and goes to leave the room when he realizes like he hears like gurgling like noises. Oh God. And he's like, oh shit, Sean is still alive. So he goes back in there and stabs Sean in the head and the back of the neck. Oh, my God. So then he changes again back into the blue jeans. What the fuck? I know. He did the laundry, and he changes back into his original outfit. Then he goes to get Robin out of her room. I never saw this in any of the articles, but I heard this on a podcast where he did the same thing to her. Like, hey, I got a surprise. Come with me. And she was such a teenage girl. She's like, this better be a good surprise. Like, she's like, (laughs) you're annoying. Like, this better be good. Yeah. Which is like such a teenage girl response that it just absolutely breaks my heart because we know where he's taking her he takes her of course to the bedroom where their brothers and their mother are laying he literally like puts his hands over her eyes while he's walking her like down the hall to this bedroom when he gets in there he uncovers her eyes and she's like (gasps) she has to see everything what the fuck yeah just like he did with sean like he had his eyes covered too being like here come for this surprise oh i thought he had sean's eyes covered the whole time oh no 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 no. he was like rip off the blindfold here's your surprise and sean's like what the fuck because he sees scott and carolyn dead and then same exact thing for robin uncover the eyes and there's their dead family members and they don't understand what's going on oh my gosh as soon as he uncovers her eyes he stabs her in the neck four or five times and then once in the side i mean this is so many deaths and so much blood that he does you know like i said he cuts his hand because that happens a lot when people use knives as their weapons because their hands slide down from the handle onto the blade so he had cut his hand some again he's covered in blood so he washes up changes clothes again then just leaves the house He goes and picks up his girlfriend, Teresa. What? They go with like some other friends, hang out. And he and Teresa go spend the night at a hotel room. What the fuck? Acting like absolutely nothing just happened at his house. While he and Teresa are at the motel, Robert was supposed to have been at work at four o'clock. Like he doesn't show up and that's not like him. So his boss is like calling, trying to find him and they can't find him. And then there were some other things that I think family members didn't show up for. They were supposed to show up for. So long story short, police get like a welfare check call. They end up finding all of the bodies. Oh my God. Like that's all I can say with this. So Teresa knows nothing. Like she knows absolutely nothing that's happening. And she's just spending the night with her boyfriend in this motel room. Like that next morning, she just did do boop, 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 calls one of her friends to chit chat while she's in the little motel room. And her friend is like, Teresa, the police want to talk to Thomas because they think he murdered his family. What do you do in that instance? Teresa was like, bitch, please. 
that's some nonsense. Like, he gonna get that squared away. He did not. There's yeah. no way. Like, I've been with him. You know, because she's like, I've been with him all night. Like, there's absolutely no way he did this. Yeah, and during the day some. Right. They hang up, and Teresa really doesn't. I mean, she's a young teenager. She truly does not believe her friend. She's like, this is some nonsense. We're gonna get this handled. Like, uh, whatever. And she turns to Thomas and is like, do you know what that girl said? She's like, she said that you killed your family. People are saying that. You need to go out of the police station and get that handled. And he's like, oh my God, I need to get that handled. Like, he totally plays it off. Like, yeah, that's total nonsense. But it doesn't take police long to put the pieces together that he is literally the only living member of this family, which is the name of that book I wasn't going to tell you, Survived by One, The Life and Mind of a Family Mass Murderer. Yeah, I can see why you withheld that. <laughs> so long story short with that, the police end up getting him and he confesses to everything. So when the police are like, what was your plan? Like, what were you going to do when you left the motel? Basically, his plan was to die by suicide from there. Oh, gosh. And he said that that was his plan when he woke up that morning. He felt like he didn't have anywhere to go, anything to live for, and that that was going to be his plan. And it he kind of makes it seem like it was like a split-second decision to take the knife and kill his dad. And well, then, it kind of seemed like that where you said he took it and left and then went right back. I See, for me, I feel like he was like, let me grab this knife. Let me go out so he thinks I'm gone mm. and then come back so he gets the element of surprise behind yeah. him. I definitely think that this was way more premeditated than he, of course, tried to make it sound. Yeah. And even I feel like some people, because the guy that um, that wrote that book is like a neuroforensic psychologist of some, yeah. you know, like, like all of the words. Yeah. And I felt like in his description, he didn't feel like it was as premeditated as I really think it was. I think it was to the degree that he's like, I'm going to kill them all. But how he said he thought to die by suicide that morning, that kind of makes sense to me where, I mean, he was just feeling at the end of his rope and then it was like, I'm going to kill them. Yeah. Well, and I understand, no, I don't understand killing the mom, but it seems like the mom was the ultimate goal. But then he, again, I'm trying to put logic to this illogical situation, but you know, the mom was the target, but the dad was there. He was an enabler. And he, yes. And he obviously had resentments to his dad. So. So he killed the parents. But then when he was asked, like, well, why did you kill your siblings? And he was like, well, like, there was no one to raise them after that. So, I mean, I just had to do it. And it's like, well, they could have gone to other family members. And he's kind of was basically like, I didn't think about that. Right. I was going to say, I don't think he understood that. You know, it was just not just him. So many people are like, well, no one's going to be there to take care of them. Um, yes, there will be someone. Right. Like, they don't have to be just collateral damage. So, even though Thomas confessed, this did go to trial. It went to trial because they were trying to do an insanity defense. The friends that he had hung out with that day and Teresa all testified. And they said that they saw him multiple times during that day. He told them that his parents were out of town for the weekend. So he had their car. That um, like his siblings were going to be at his grandparents' house. They did notice some blood on him. Like on his forearms and just weird places. But he would just explain it off. And they did see the cuts on his hands too. Another thing like it didn't seem very well thought out. I don't know how methodical he would have been. But how he went about things, it didn't seem like he had thought too much about it. You're right. I don't have an argument for that. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, even like that morning, one of his friends, and they testified to on this, that they called him at like 930 that morning, you know, around the time where he killed his dad. And he was like heavy breathing in the phone. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? And he told them like, oh, I spilled some red paint in the hallway on the carpet. Like I got to clean it up before my parents get home. That motherfucker answered the phone. He answered the door at one point. One of his friends and his friend's girlfriends actually came to the house to pick him up to go hang out. And they just like, boop, 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 the horn. And he was like, hey, go down there. And then I'm going to bring my car and I'm going to come back and get you. Like, don't come in. I'll be there in a minute. And they did. I mean, people like came over that day. That is fucking wild. Also, do not just randomly stop by, please. I need time to one, panic clean. And two, (laughs) put a bra on and pants because I guarantee I'm in a moo-moo. Well, it's more so the bra for me. And even though I don't have big boobs or anything, it's, it's still just a just vulnerability. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Also, one of Carolyn's friends stopped by the house too. This was like a comedy of errors for him. And like in the worst possible way, because this is like, this isn't like a movie. This is people's actual lives. One of the mom's friends came over and he was like, oh, she's gone. She like left me the car. And the friend's like, he seemed completely normal. That's the thing for me. It's like with the insanity plea and all of that, like you're trying to say that he didn't know what he was doing. But he was able to turn it on and turn it off for people. Yeah. Somebody came to the door, going to act natural. Somebody called, going to act natural. Going to wash my clothes, going to clean up the blood, going to go pick up the kids, going to go hang out with my friends at lunch, and then come back and do some more killing. Like, that to me, like you said, it's too methodical to be this moment where he just lashed out. Right. Like, or that he went insane or and he was in some sort of like psychosis where he lashed out and killed his family and then kind of snapped out of it later. Right. But in that book I was telling you about, Thomas actually helped write that book in a way. Like he had letter correspondence. So there's a lot of his own words in it, like describing the abuse and all of that. But he gets no money from it, which I was like, okay, that makes me like, okay, yeah, yeah, you could actually go get this book, you know. But a lot of the abuse does come up at trial as part of his defense. I mean, he did go through a lot of abuse. I mean, like he was physically abused where she would smash his head against the wall. There was a point where allegedly she had even hit him with a hammer. And Mm -mm. that, yeah, and that that had actually been told by Sean to an employee at the Department of Children and Family Services. Like as bad as that abuse was, that's horrific. But you don't have the right to kill someone, but also your innocent siblings. Right. Thinking of it from like a psychological point, I can, again, using the word understand very loosely here, but I can understand his anger towards maybe Scott and Robin. Mm-hmm. But Sean? Right. I mean, other than because you were forced to raise Sean, but like... Sean went through everything, if not worse, that you went through. Yeah. So, like, how was that not some sort of bond with y'all? I'm using the word understand very loosely, but I can kind of understand his resentment towards the other two siblings. Mm -hmm. But even then, it wasn't their fault. It's not like they chose for him to be treated differently than them. You know, it's not their fault. It's all Carolyn's fault if all of this abuse was truly true. But there is some credence to it because there was a case with the Department of Children and Family Services. So. The jury only took two hours to deliberate, and they found him guilty. And he was given the death penalty. But later, after he had been in prison for like 17 years, basically, Illinois had this influx of people who had been sentenced to death that were proven innocent. And so the governor was like, we are putting a stop to this. And he put a moratorium on the death penalty. And then eventually, 
it was overturned in Illinois. And so his sentence was commuted to life in prison. That's where he is now. He is still in prison. Like just Google like Illinois inmate search and you can type in Thomas Odell and there he is. Oh my gosh. Because Thomas is the one that reached out to him to kind of start processing through what he had done because it was like he had resigned himself to dying and like, okay, you know, this is very hard to process, but I'm going to die anyway. So I'm just going to compartmentalize that. And then it was like, oh shit, I'm not going to die anymore. So like I have to deal with this. And Robert Hanlon, the guy who wrote the book, was one of the forensic psychologist things that had interviewed him. He has his PhD. He's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences and like neuropsychology. So he was one of the ones that had interviewed Thomas during his trial. And so when Thomas was like, okay, I'm not going to die. I need to process this to help me figure out why I did it. He reached out to him and through like letter correspondence, that's how the book came to be. I just don't understand. Well, I don't understand any of the murders, obviously. But, like, I really don't understand killing your siblings. Yeah. And also just, like, the coldness of, I have a surprise for you, then lifting off the blindfold. Like, I understand getting them in that vulnerable position to be like, oh, I have a surprise. Close your eyes. Right. So that you can, like, at the surprise attack. Yeah. But then to make them see what you've done and their family members murdered, oh, that's a whole different level. So true. And then the coldness to me of like, let me just clean things up. The planned outness of like, I'm going to wash these clothes. I'm going to change. I got to clean this up so that when mom comes home, she doesn't see the blood and panic and I can kill her. And when the siblings come home, they won't see the blood. So they won't panic and I can kill them. But also I'm going to leave and go hang out with my friends like nothing happened on two different occasions. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around that. No, I can't compartmentalize like that. No. And at what point do you say, again, millions of people are abused every single day and they don't kill their family? Yeah. They don't kill anybody. Yeah, it's so hard because you do sympathize with him of what he went through, you know, all of that. And it's, that's hard. But then how he killed them was so brutal. Oh my gosh, so brutal. And again, his siblings. And like, just know, like, there's some like brutality stuff I didn't say. Like, the, I mean, it was bad. Mm. You always got to do a real brutal one when you go second. Blame Nicole. She's the one that recommended this. That's right. It's your fault, Nicole. Just kidding. It was a hard story to hear, but definitely one that makes you think. I know, I hate to say I like a story, but like I like when there's the psychological component of trying to figure out the insanity plea or the not or the, you know, was it premeditated? Was it not? Because you're right. It makes you think. It makes you really process through these, which is the whole point of how do you stop this from happening? How do you see signs? How do you whatever? And I don't think that you in this case could because the mom was a very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, mm-hmm. you saw what you saw in the public and then what she was doing to the kids was totally different. And then you, know, you had the dad that was complicit and did nothing. So he's just as wrong as she is. But we don't know. I never saw anything that said that she was abusive to him. But I'm sure there was some verbal abuse. Yeah. You're not just that passive for no reason. Right. I just can't wrap my head around telling a kid that they're worthless Mm-mm. and that you never wanted them. No. That is something that would stay with them forever and ever and ever. Yes. Like, I can't even wrap my head around the words that are said to these kids 
much less the physical abuse that they incurred. Yeah. Also, on another note, how you said like saying that would stick with a kid. Um, You know, I do daily affirmations for Marbu. Me and her were having our moment on the couch. Uh, that's her dog, by the way, if you're new to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Her name's Marley. She calls her Marbu. Okay. She's about to be 12 years old. So, I mean, like, this has been a thing. And she was, like, laying on my belly. And I was just loving on her and telling her how amazing she was and all the things. And Tiffany, I'm telling on you, Tiffany, she was using the half bath, like, right off the mm-hmm. uh, thing. And so the door was open. And I was just, I wasn't even thinking about her being in there. I'm just with Marley because I like I do it with intention and I said you're so creative and I hear a voice say creative <laughs> I know I know one time you did it in front of me you said you're so clever and I was like clever <laughs> but it was so funny like creative like <laughs> from the bathroom a voice yells like she is creative <laughs> Smart, loving, loyal. Okay, okay, okay. Creative. (laughs) Oh, gosh. If she ever talks to a pet psychic, they're going to say, what does your mom say about you? She's going to be like, I got a list. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, the scroll that comes out. Yeah, and she's going to get, she also says I'm very creative. (laughs) And that pet psychic's going to be creative. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure that's the word she used? (laughs) I just always want to be positive with her. But it was just so funny because, you know, like when you zone into something Uh and you're not thinking like, oh, shit, how we say on the live sometimes like, oh, shit, someone is watching this. Yes, because you're just doing you. Yeah. So it was like that. And then I just hear creative. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Meanwhile, I'm like, God damn it, Jax. (laughs) Because he gets the zoomies on the couch and he uses me to, like, rebound off of. Yeah, you're his springboard. God, I'm like, you are almost 85, 90 pounds, and you're, like, pouncing off of me. Yeah. It hurts. <laughs> yes. I mean, glad you're having fun, but uh, stop jumping off of me. Oh, trust me. I'm like, I get like that with Marley, especially with her nails sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank y'all so much for listening to this podcast. Hopefully Donna's anecdote took a little uh, pressure off that heavy story. I hope so. Also, do y'all talk to your dogs? What do you tell them? What are your affirmations? Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.